that I am glad to be back with you. I missed you guys last Sunday when I was not here, but we had a great time uh, away in Chicago. And um, I heard nothing but good things about you uh, from Rob. Um, He called me um, on Sunday evening and we talked for a little bit on the phone. I just wanted to let you know that he was glad to be here um, and and just uh, filling in for me. So if you would, I need you to turn with me to the book of Ruth. You guessed it. Uh, We're still here in this series for another couple of weeks. Um, Hope in the midst of hopelessness. Now we're going to be diving into chapter 3 today. As chapter 2 kind of closed off um, last week and we saw some things happening there at the end of chapter 2 and the interactions between Ruth and Naomi. Um, And so today we're going to see a much deeper and greater picture of Boaz and how he was used to be a picture of Christ. Now, before I get there, though, um, I need a little bit of uh, participation from you. And so, um, how many of you uh, would be willing to raise your hand and say, um, I have a favorite movie? You don't have to shout it out, so like you're not going to incriminate yourself. Um, It's a heathen movie of some sort. But if you have a favorite movie, just raise your hand. All right, so um, is this favorite movie, so like I have this favorite movie, um, are you like me in the sense that I can, I can watch this one movie like millions and millions of times and never get sick of it? Anybody else in that way? Like you can quote this entire movie uh, from beginning to end, you know what's going to happen, uh, you know um, where the turning point is that's going to start shifting in the movie, you know when the final chapter is about to start, you know that the heroes are going to overcome, or maybe you're into movies like mine where you're completely caught off guard at the end and what you think is going to happen doesn't happen, and then you're like, ah, and you're freaking out, so I'll tell you a little bit about one of my favorite movies, so um, one of my favorite movies uh, to watch, anyone a Liam Neeson fan? Anybody? All three of you. Okay, great. Um, so one of the reasons I like Liam Neeson is because he has an accent. Um, and I try to replicate his accent at various times in my life. It never works out well, uh, but I still attempt. So there's this movie that he is in. It's several years old now, and it's called The Gray the gray. Anyone ever seen it? It's a movie uh, about a group of men who are working in Alaska, and, and Liam Neeson's job is to hunt wolves to ensure that they don't attack the workers while they're out in the field. And so you hardly ever see him um, in, in this movie at first. Uh, you just see him behind the gun, and he's like watching to make sure that everyone is protected. So the reason I love this movie so much is, is if you've not seen it, I'm going to spoil a couple of things for you, so I really apologize. Uh, so the, the gray um, starts out where they're about to leave and go home for a little bit of a break, and they're on a plane, and that plane hits terrible weather, and it crashes. And some of the men survive, and they're stuck out in the middle of nowhere. And where that plane crashes is right in the middle of the feeding grounds of a pack of wolves. And so they have to go on this journey trekking through like waist deep snow into the woods trying to get away from these wolves and the wolves keep attacking. Now uh, at the end of this movie though there's the, the turning point that occurs in this movie and you think that they're about to make it out. They get into the woods. They be, they're able to start fire. Like they start protecting themselves. They start fighting back. 
against these wolves. And you think that the turning point is going to end this movie in such an amazing way. And I'm not going to spoil the ending. So go and watch it um, if if you will, if you choose to. Uh, but in that movie, um, I know where every single piece is going to happen. I know what Liam Neeson is going to say. I know what he's going to tell these men to do next. I know, as frustrating as it is, I know how the movie ends. And it's one of my favorites. And it's almost like it gets me every single time. Now this here is the same way that it is with our story of Ruth. Our study has come to this place where we're going to see the turning point. And it's going to end in a way that most people don't understand and or realize about this passage of Scripture. And this turning point is the incredible story of God's grace and God's mercy and His salvation for, for believers, for people who come to Him. We see a story of redemption, a story that is not yet over. We're about to encounter some tension here in the text, and it's still going to exist into the last chapter. And even as we go to this, there is still a final outcome that we won't see for the next couple of weeks. And so if you would, turn with me, if you're not there, to the book of Ruth, chapter 3. And we're going to read through, so bear with me here, we're going to read through all 18 verses of this chapter. We're going to try and cover a lot of ground uh, this morning. And so she, the writer here starts off by saying, then Naomi, her mother-in-law said to her, so she's speaking to Ruth, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he is finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down and he will tell you what to do. And Naomi um, is speaking here to Ruth and Ruth is like, okay, I, I, need to, I need to speak back. And so she replies saying, all that you say, I will do. And Ruth went her way to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lie down at the end of a heap of grain. And then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he says, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. He then goes on to say in, in verse 12, And now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he will not redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay in verse 14 at his feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it be known that this woman came to the threshing floor. Then he said, bring the garments you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And when she went into the city, she came to her mother-in-law and she said, how did you fare, my daughter? And then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. 
For he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. And she replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle this matter today. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we come to you right now, Lord. And, and though we have read through a good portion of your word, I'm asking for you to shed a light upon truths that we will begin to look at and pull out of this passage of scripture. God, help our hearts to be ready to receive. Help us not to push you away or to stiff arm your spirit in this place, but God, help our ears to be ready to listen, our hearts ready to receive, and our minds ready to go away changed. And I ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Up until this point, we know that Naomi has been one bitter woman. We've seen it in the first two complete chapters of the book of Ruth. She is focused so much on herself and her loss and how she even feels that the Lord has treated her. But as Ruth has continued to show her kindness and has blessed her, there's been this softening and this changing in Naomi's heart. You saw it right at the end of chapter 2 and now to kick off chapter 3. So much has Naomi changed that it's almost stunning to hear the words that she speaks to Ruth right out of the gate. And she's offering help. She said, I want to help you. If you remember though, last week you briefly talked about, but the two weeks prior to that we looked at how hope was going to end up changing Naomi. Hope was found when she remembered and she rested in the promises of God. And so now she's taking this final step. God's word had healed Naomi's heart. And now her desire was to bless her daughter-in-law and to help her and to encourage her. And so church, let me say this to you this morning. That a life that is filled with hope seeks to bring help to those who are hurting. A life that is filled with hope seeks to bring help to those who are hurting. It's amazing how your life will change when you start seeing others and you stop dwelling on your own problems. Too many believers I have met have lost their hope. I mean, look at the world around us right now. Look at the way that our society functions. Instead of seeking ways to help other people, we've gone into self-preservation mode. That's where we find ourselves right now. And in, instead of seeing hurting souls, churches have a tendency to focus on how they can make it. Instead of reaching out and seeing how we can impact the welfare of others and holding on to what we have, we have become spiritual hoarders. We talked about it two weeks ago. But if nothing else we find Naomi in a place where she just wants to help Ruth. She wants to give something to her. She wants Ruth to be able to experience blessings. She doesn't want Ruth to just be in the field of Boaz. She wants her to have Boaz as her husband. But I've realized something as I read through this passage of scripture, as I studied, something that I found in my life, that it's never really about the blessing, but it's about the one who's giving the blessing. It's not really about the provision, but the provider, the one who is providing. And so she tells Ruth here, take a leap of faith. And so the first thing I need us to see this morning is that there is a leap of faith, a leap of faith that happens in the text. 
There's this amazing picture here. Ruth steps out and she places herself at the mercy of Boaz. And though the two of them have met, they've talked, they've connected, Ruth knows that there is more that is about to happen here. It's not over yet. She doesn't want to just be a worker, a servant for Boaz, but she wants to receive Boaz's mercy as his wife. And so she puts herself on the line and she seeks closeness and intimacy and safety and salvation. When you look at this part of the story, though, you realize that that Ruth prepared herself. We're told in verse number three to wash, therefore, and anoint yourself and put on your cloak. She took a leap of faith, but make no mistake, she knew where she was headed. She knew what was, what was possible at the end of this step forward. She didn't know the exact outcome, but she did believe something would change. She believed, and we as believers must remember that while our salvation has nothing to do with us, it has everything to do with God We're told in Ephesians chapter 2, the verses are going to hit the screen for you, but it says, God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and made alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, so that the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He's talking about what Christ did so that you could have salvation. And he goes on to say that you've been saved by grace through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it's a gift of God. It's not a result of works so that no one may boast for you are his workmanship. I was telling you this in worship. We were created in Christ Jesus to do good works and God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning that God knew, knew that you were going to come to him. God knew that you would be able to walk in his strength. This is exactly what we're told. Church, we are saved by grace. But I've always thought something very interesting here. Ephesians said that we're saved by grace and it says through faith. Through faith. Do you know the evidence of faith is action? The evidence of faith is action. That's why James told us that faith without works was dead. The works were not what saved us, but the faith will drive us to do what God wants us to do. Faith is action. And the reality is that when we come to Christ, we are just like Ruth. We're seeking closeness. And that means that our life is to be clean. Now before you take that and say the pastor said we have to clean up before we come to Christ, don't believe that. That's not what I said. We are, we are to be clean in this sense. Let me explain. Let me explain this. We are to be clean in the sense that while we cannot convert our own souls, we can commit to a life that flourishes in godly character. A life that flourishes in godly character. I believe it was Peter. I got to turn there because I want to read this to you. I believe it it was 2 Peter where he says, 2 Peter chapter 1. 
Verse number five, he says, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And he goes on to say, um, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with affection, and affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful. He then goes on to say, because of the knowledge of Christ, for whoever lacks in these qualities is nearsighted and he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Paul or Peter goes on to say in this passage of scripture that he was given the opportunity, every chance that he got to stir up the believers to remember that they were cleansed. And so Ruth here, in this moment of time, she, she cleans herself up, not for the sake of being clean to come to mercy, but she came with the reality that genuine faith is displayed in a deep desire to live a life of godliness. This is not about being sinless. I've said this before, but it's about sinning less. The closer that we become to God, the less we will have a proclivity towards sinfulness. This isn't about changing our external parts. It's about changing the inward man or the inward parts, as David calls them, the things that God sees. Church, trying not to sin is the wrong attitude. Trying not to sin is the wrong attitude, but rather living for God over trying not to sin. That's what we should be doing. It was Paul who wrote to the church at Corinth when he said, having these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Holiness in the fear of God. Now I want to be clear about something. There was, there was a phrase um, that I heard multiple times when I was a child. Do you, do you ever hear um, Christian circles use phrases and maybe at first you think to yourself, is that true? And then you question it. Or maybe you're like, oh, a pastor said it, so it has to be true, right? So there was something that I grew up learning and hearing about all the time. And I always thought that it was something that was in the Bible because I heard pastors say it. Uh, I think my parents maybe even said it to us uh, a time or two. Uh, but they, I used to hear all the time, cleanliness is next to godliness, Anybody ever hear that phrase before? Cleanliness is next to godliness. Well, I hate to burst your bubble. That's not in the Bible. Uh, I hate to burst your bubble. Cleanliness is not next to godliness. Cleanliness creates closeness, though. Cleanliness creates closeness. And cleanliness affects two areas of our life. They're not going to hit the screen, but I want you to write this down. Cleanliness affects our conscience and our confession. Our conscience and our confession. Paul said all throughout the New Testament that he tried to live a life that kept him from void of offense with God and man. And then if you go into the book of 1 John, John wrote to us that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And it says that he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So our cleanliness affects our conscience and our confession. Our cleanliness 
Ruth is here preparing and committing herself so she can come close to Boaz. And so she takes this leap of faith and she puts herself at Boaz's feet. And so the second thing I need you to see this morning is the feet of mercy. The feet of mercy. Now, this, this passage comes with a little bit of a sense of, of wonder or bewilderment because of the phraseology that is used here. I want to read to you from verse 7. It says, And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went and lied down at the end of the heap of grain. And then she, speaking about Ruth, came softly. And she uncovered his feet and she lay down. I want to stop right here for just a moment. Much of what is happening here is Eastern and Jewish tradition. It was a way to show submission from a servant to his master. Yes, Naomi has encouraged Ruth to present herself in a way that may seem off to us. But I'm asking you to please not allow our sexually perverted Western culture to influence your take on this passage of Scripture. While it is clear that Ruth wants marriage and she and Boaz had a thing here in this entire book, what is not to be missed is that there is a real test of character here for both Ruth and Boaz. He goes on to say that she's a virtuous woman. She went to the, the threshing floor, which was supposed to be the place of final preparation. It was where the barley was separated from the chaff. It was the place where the cool wind would blow all of the bad away. It was a place where people would rejoice because their work was finished. They were about to reap the harvest of what they had. And this here is a happy setting. It's supposed to be a, a joyous time. People would rejoice. And, and Ruth saw this and Naomi saw this as an opportune time. Ruth did not go to the threshing floor to rejoice. But she came to lay herself at the feet of her Redeemer. She wanted to enter a relationship with him and Boaz realizes that she is there and Ruth makes her request. She said, spread your wings over me. Now, I read, I read that for the first time in verse number nine and I thought to myself, what in the world? Like, I imagined, I put myself back 15 years ago and I imagined if that was the interaction with my wife. Like, what would I do if my wife came to me before we were dating and she said, spread your wings over me? I think I would have laughed. Like, just being 100% honest with you, if my wife said, spread your wings over me, I'd be like, I'm not a bird. Like, that would have been the thought in my head. But, but here's the thing. Ruth was saying something here. She was using a, a, a phrase that sounds a little different. It maybe even sounds a little off, but she's seeking safety and security through what they called the Redeemer, the kinsman. It's the same phrase that God used to speak over Israel multiple times in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew phrase that is used in the book of Psalm 91. It's the same phrase that's used all throughout the book of Isaiah, all throughout the book of Ezekiel, all throughout the book of Exodus. And you see over and over and over again where there's this, this covering that happens. And Ezekiel 16, 8 says, Now when I passed by you and I looked upon you, behold, your time was the time of love. 
And I spread my wings over you and I covered your nakedness and I swear unto you and entered into a covenant with you saying the Lord God and you became mine. It was a moment in which God was saying that I will protect, I will cover you. It's the same thing when he said, he that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He's saying that I will protect you. I will give salvation to you. And this is exactly what Ruth was seeking. She put herself in a position of surrender and submission because she wanted to receive mercy and grace and love. But here's the amazing thing. The amazing thing is what Boaz speaks to Ruth in verse 11. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all of my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. A worthy woman. Boaz knew that Ruth was virtuous, meaning that she was genuine. Ruth was not a man chaser, or the way our culture would say a gold digger. That's not Ruth. That wasn't who she was. She and Boaz both could have easily given in to temptation, but the both displayed character. She wanted to preserve her testimony and her character. So, rabbit trail for just a moment. If you are a man or a woman in this building, so that means all of you, how do you preserve your character? Do you put yourself into situations that you shouldn't be in? Do you allow for yourself to watch things that you shouldn't watch? Do you go into bars? Are you around drugs? Are you around people who are going to pull you away from godliness? How do you preserve your character? Not everyone's going to find themselves in the same place as Ruth. But how do you preserve your character? So when people look at you, they say, that is a worthy man. That is a worthy woman. They've displayed godliness. I want you to write down this very thought. That our integrity forms a shadow. And that shadow is called character. Our integrity forms a shadow, and that shadow is called character. Do you know that people cannot see what's in your heart, but they can catch a glimpse of who you are by how you live your life? I believe that's why C.S. Lewis spoke it well when he said integrity is doing what's right even when nobody's watching you. Our character is a reflection of the reality of our faith. We can claim Christ, but what does your character speak? You can call Jesus Lord and you can walk out of this building and live like you're the king of your own kingdom. What does your character show? Our identity and our integrity are linked in this circle of being a Christian. There's no getting away from those two things. But there's something so special that we see here in the text. Ruth hears the words that every person who has ever called on the name of Jesus wants to hear. He says, I receive you. I receive you. And if you go to the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Synoptic Gospels, John records something very special. 
Jesus said, anyone who comes to me will be not cast out. Meaning, I will accept you right where you are. Jesus is saying, let them come to me. Let them come. It doesn't matter where they find themselves. And praise God in this place, church, when we came to Jesus in a leap of faith and we threw ourselves at the feet of his mercy, we were able to receive a faithful promise. That would have been a great spot for an amen, church. Do you remember when you threw yourself at the feet of Christ and you received from him eternal life? That's what we see going on here. We're not only welcomed by God, but we received a faithful promise. You know, here in our text, we come across, though, a slight hiccup. Boaz has to do the right thing. But he says, he says that there is a redeemer nearer than I in verse number 12. He's like, there's, there's another relative that may want to redeem Naomi and her family. And so Boaz makes a promise. Look at verse number 13. He says, remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem, will redeem you. And he says, lie down until the morning. Boaz is essentially with his words, making a down payment. He's saying, I will return, which is another picture of Christ. Do you know in the book of Ephesians, again, in chapter 1, it says that in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, it says that you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of your inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Jesus left us his spirit. It was his earnest money, if you will, his down payment and his promise when he left us the spirit. He gave us a personal seal, a stamp of authenticity in our lives as believers. And every single believer has that stamp and that seal of God's promise. God's possession and the future inheritance, the place in which he went to provide for us. Which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians, but as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Do you know that God's Spirit bears witness with ours that we are sons and daughters and that we have been given a gift, the first installment, so to speak, of which is to come? Paul told us in the book of Romans chapter 8, which I would challenge and encourage you to go home and read today. Go home and before you do anything else, don't turn on your TV or your cell phone. Go read Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 says that we're not condemned any longer for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it says that his spirit will bear with ours that we are sons and daughters. That we've been given. There's nothing that can separate us from Christ. It is a passage that should be used to encourage you. You should read every morning if you have the opportunity. But I want you to notice something in Ruth chapter 3. 
The very last phrase in 18 says, For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Church, I have felt all week long that I needed to remind us that God is always working. And he's always at work. And he will finish what he started. Philippians 1 tells us that he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. Our story took a turning point the day that we took a leap of faith. And when we came to the feet of mercy and we believed in a faithful promise. But the thing is, is that while we still live on this earth, our story is continuing to be written. Our story is not done. We have not reached the end, but rather we're living a life of daily grace, which is why we introduced the song today, Grace to Grace. Grace to grace. We're living in a period of, or what we would call a dispensation of grace. An extended period because Christ has not returned. Do you know that it's not really been an easy road for Ruth or Naomi? Life is tough. Days have been hard. Difficulties have been many. But there's no doubt about their future. None. Church, God is not finished working on us. God is not finished working in us. Maybe you're here this morning and you've lost hope because you're in a tough situation. Maybe you're here this morning because you've been in a hard place. Maybe you're here because you feel heartbroken. Maybe you're here because you feel like you don't know where else to go. Maybe you don't even know how to get there. Need I remind us that God's not done working. God's not finished with us. God's not done with the well here in Ionia. God's not done with the people here. God's not done with the people downstairs who aren't listening at this moment. God's not done with the people who left. God's not done with your last pastors. God's not done with any of us. And so we have to cling and rest in the promises that we've been given all throughout Scripture for those who love God. In our moments of weakness, in our moments of pain, in our moments of trial, our moments of not knowing which way to go or who to turn to or what to do next, know that we can turn to Christ because He is faithful. He is faithful. But maybe you're in here and you've been living a life that almost seems separated from Christ. A life that says, I, I have no hope because I don't even know how to get to Christ. 
A life that says, I don't even know how to pray. What do I do? Ruth took a leap of faith that led her to the feet of mercy, which brought safety and security and salvation. So church, I'm going to ask if you would bow your heads, close your eyes. And in the attitude of prayer, I have a question for you this morning. Believer, child of God in this place, balcony, have you lost hope? Have you given up? Have you forgotten which way to turn? Maybe you're in here this morning and you know that you've been saved. You know that you're going to heaven. But maybe you've forgotten the promises of God. Maybe you felt hopeless because of some situation or circumstance that you've been going through in your life. I have found myself there more often times than I would care to share. But I remind you this morning of this truth. Not life, nor death, nor angels, or principalities, or powers can separate us from the love of Christ. Romans 8 tells us that. We also know that the weapons of the warfare in which we come against as believers are not carnal. We have the word of God that was given to us as talked about in Ephesians 6. The sword was our defensive weapon, the truth. So believer, maybe you're in here this morning and and maybe you need to recommit to remembering the promises. It was Jeremiah who said, this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Great is your faithfulness. Your mercies are new every morning. Or maybe you're in here and you have no relationship with Christ. And you don't know what that's like. You can come to Christ right now in this place. There's no no secret prayer that you pray. This is crying out to God telling him that you're a sinner and asking for forgiveness and, and being saved. This is saying, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you're going you're gonna to cry out to God and know that if you do that, you're going to look at the mirror and you're going to be the same exact person that you see. But know that something different inward, like we talked about the inward parts, the things that God sees. And so you can cry out to Him right now in this place. You don't have to have someone stand next to you. You don't have to have someone say the words for you. but you can cry out to him right now asking him to save you, to rescue you, to bring hope, peace, joy into your life. And believer, I would challenge you this morning to commit to remembering, to calling to mind the truth that we've been so easily given. 
don't want to scare you, but we're coming to days in which we could have our, our religious freedoms stripped away and removed from us. We could be imprisoned for carrying around Bibles. If we don't know the truth of God now, how will you stand then? If you're in this place and you've cried out to God for, for salvation, um, I'm not going not gonna to embarrass you, uh, but I'm going to ask if you would make eye contact with me. Just lift your head. Nobody's looking around. And just make eye contact with me if you've if cried out to God for salvation this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. God, we we come to you in this place, Lord, and we just thank you for the hope that you give. We thank you for the salvation that came through your shed blood. For the, the ravaging of your body, Christ, as you, as you clung to the cross for our sake. You took the weight of the world upon you. Every sin, past, present, and future, you took upon yourself so that a way would be made for us to come to you. That if we just took a, a leap of faith and, and placed ourselves at your feet of mercy, we could receive the faithful promise. God, I'm, I'm praying for those who made eye contact with me this morning as we rejoice with them for, for deciding to follow you, for giving up and saying, I can't save myself. God, we not only rejoice, but help us to come alongside of these, these, young, um, these young people, these three people that have looked at me. That we would encourage them, that we would spur them on to love and good works as your word calls us to, that we would disciple them as your word commands us to. God, that we would be a church that makes disciples, that reaches lost people, that we would have your eyes and your ears and that our feet would go wherever it is that you would send us. God, I'm asking in this place right now that you would spur and stir up within us as believers a compassion and a love and virtue and a knowledge of you. One that leads to steadfastness of the faith as, as Peter talked about. And help us to call to mind and have hope in the promises that you've given. Bless those as they leave from here. Give us opportunities to encounter lost souls and give us the words to speak as we Bring light into our workplaces, into stores, into our community, our neighborhoods, God. Give us opportunities to, to be salt and light. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen and amen. Um, for those of you who made eye contact with me, I would encourage you uh, to please come and see me um, or the prayer team after church. We will be available to pray with you to ensure uh, that you understand that the decision, the life-changing decision that you made. 
uh, outside of that church, if you not have an opportunity to give, you can do so on your way out. We love you guys. We hope you have a wonderful week. Uh, volunteers for any ministry um, at all, uh, worship, kids, security, uh, greeters, prayer team, uh, make sure you get your names on the list for our volunteer dinner. It's going to be uh, great. It's going to be a fun time, delicious food. I'm not going to tell you what we're having. you got to show up. Uh, but I will tell you it's going to be absolutely amazing. Uh, so make sure that you're here 6.30 Friday night. Uh, teens, there's a game night tonight. Don't forget. Starts at 5 p.m. Um, you guys have a blessed week, and I will talk to you later. See you guys. You are sent.